0: This, we are to accept the case that jesus makes accept the case that jesus makes look back at verse 18 keep your bible handy he says here very clearly that he has what he has all authority this is not the wimpy jesus of culture this is not the the uh the 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 the, the political correct jesus that he's only good in his sphere of influence no he says he has all authority If the president got up today and said, I have all authority over the United States of America, you would look at them and probably get your pitchforks and start going 1776 on him, wouldn't you? You'd think that's a little weird. But Jesus takes no qualifications. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What this means is it's a claim. The commission rests on this claim. If verse 18 is not true, verses 19 and 20 are meaningless, he says, I have all power. But he claims to have more than that. You see, power is the ability to act towards your one's will. It's the power to do something you want to do. Authority is the jurisdiction. It's the area you can work in. It's a freedom of action. You know, in sports, an athlete has a power to move the ball. But if you're a basketball player, you can't like hide the ball under your, your shirt and run with it like a football. That doesn't work. That gets a whistle blown at you. Those, those whistles that happen because the referee has the authority to restrict you, penalize you, or if you're in hockey, throw you in the, the, the naughty box, the, uh, the the penalty box over there off the ice. Authority matters. And as the authority of the referee has in sports of the world is similar to the authority Jesus claims over all the universe, except no protest, no commissioner, or instant replay can ever overrule what is ours and his in Jesus Christ. Notice the scope of this. It's all, all authority all authority. Just think about that for a second, guys. We serve a Lord and a God who doesn't answer to anybody else. Sometimes we think that God, you know, He has this authority, and then Satan has authority on earth, and they're fighting each other, and, and, and Satan seems to have the upper hand. Guys, God always has the upper hand, doesn't He? He always does. This is why our most hopeful days are based upon not what we see in front of us, but what God sees through all eternity, and he sees that he wins the battle. That is great hope for us. That is the scope of his authority. Ephesians 1 says it this way, that Christ seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Look, there's no racist gunman. There's no SCOTUS uh, or POTUS to use those acronym ruling or any other rebellious usurper who can impeach the rule of Jesus Christ. If Jesus has all authority, no one has anything else to say. But notice the spear of it. It's not just in heaven, it's also on earth. In heaven, it is more than heavenly bodies, it's the entire realm of the spirit beings. No Satan can move one inch no demon can can do anything apart from God's sovereign hand working through his son, Jesus Christ. Even Michael and his army are at the beck and call of Jesus Christ. Man, doesn't that sound good? If you've ever thought about it for a second, what it'd be like to be one of those people, you see those things on the internet where they, they have a guy sweating, and he has to make a decision, does he press this red button or that red button or whatever it is, and he has to make a choice. Sometimes we feel that, that gravity of that. God is not up there wringing his hands in heaven. Guys, be reminded of who our God is this morning. But also on earth, it's more than land or sea. He is over all human beings, regardless of race, religion, culture, background, status, or orientation. He's God it all. Don't you love Philippians 2? At the name of Joe Biden. At the name of Donald Trump. At the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is glory, Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Matthew 20, 18, 28 18 is primarily about who Jesus is. It tells us, or to use the big word, it's the Christological statement of the New Testament. He says freely who he is. He's not a God who progressed to be Jesus. He wasn't created by God the Father. He has always been God. He will always be God, and nothing can take that away. In other words, you cannot respond by calling Jesus a mere prophet. As Lewis said, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, he's a loony bin, or he's Lord over all. Psalm 2.8 says that the Lord says to his anointed, Ask of me and I will give you the nations and the ends of the earth your possession. The Father fulfilled this messianic promise by giving Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth. Abraham Kuyper, who's a great old dead guy, he's recently dead, 120 years worth, said it this way. He said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence of which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine, mine. What a God we serve. Is your home a mess? Is your life a mess? Is your neighborhood a mess? Is your city a mess? Is your country a mess? Maybe it is. Guess what? Christ has authority over it all. And that ought to give you great encouragement. I mean, when a man has to announce, I'm a man of this house, he usually is not. You ever had one of those before? Guy walks in and says, this is my house. And, they, and the kids look at him and just laugh and run away. <laughs> has that ever happened to you before? Jesus doesn't have to worry about that. He looks around and says, mine, mine, mine. And he's got it all down. What is the proof he has all authority? Do not judge the authority by the breaking news of the day. The breaking news was that Jesus was in the grave, and three days later, he went, boom, and busted out and said, I am he who promised, and I'm the one who's coming again. He was betrayed. He was tried. He was convicted. He was beaten and crucified. They said, he's gone. He's dead. But he said, it's Friday, but Sunday is a- coming, and it did. Matthew 28:18 18 is the declaration of war. Acts 17 puts it this way, Paul says there are times of ignorance God overlooked, for now he commands people everywhere to repent, because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed, and of this he has given us assurance by raising him, that is Jesus, from the dead. How you doing this morning? When I think about our sister, who we prayed for at the beginning, and our family's still processing this information, and you know who she is, we're online now, I'm not going to say the name. When I think about her and other cases that are dealing with some serious medical stuff, I don't know what lies ahead. I'm not a prophet nor the son of one, but I know she's in the hands of this sovereign God who says all authority on heaven and earth is in my hands. And that's where we leave her. Friends, we need to accept the case Jesus makes that he has all scope, he has all authority. This is the God we serve. Look, I'm a puny guy, I'm not smart. You're bigger than I, you're smarter than I, but even together, we got nothing against this Jesus. Amen? He's got it. But where do we fit into all this? That's who He is. We need to accept the case He makes. That's the first call to action. But the second call to action is this. We need to embrace the charge Jesus gives. Not only accept who He is, but secondly, and you'll see this on the screen, we need to embrace the charge that Jesus gives. Look back at verse 19. He says, go therefore. Based on who I am, based on what I've told you about myself, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Look, this is the singular command of all the Great Commission, of all these verses, is to make disciples. A disciple, as you know, would follow a rabbi, a teacher around. He would try, or even she, there would be a mix of people at times. Jesus certainly had both. Where they would finish their training and go and make other disciples. they go train other people. It's kind of like many of you at work have been at the same job for many years, or were at the same job for many years. And when a trainee came in, they said, go over to Bob. Bob will help you out. Or go over to Joe. Joe will help you out. If you need this, you go over here. It's very common. But this was very common in their day. He says, Go and make disciples. He does not give his disciples to make their own disciples. He doesn't say, Make disciples of Darren. Make disciples of Professor Robert. He doesn't say, Make disciples of whomever. He says, Make disciples of me. Replicate me. And we are to call the lost, those without Jesus, to to repentance. We're to call them to know who Jesus is. But we're also called them to follow him as Lord of their lives. Can we take a rabbit trail for just a second? Several years ago, many of you remember this. There was a controversy in churches. I think it was the 80s or 90s. uh, I was too young. I'll just leave that at the table there. But there was a, a controversy that said you can take Jesus as Savior without making him Lord. Let that sink in for a second. You can be saved from your sins, but you don't have to submit to him. That's not what he said. He said, he will save you from your sins, but he will also be Lord of your life. If you want to be saved from your sins, but don't want to make Jesus your Lord, you have made a disciple out of yourself. You've not made a disciple of the Lord, but made a disciple of the Lord. You've been made a disciple of yourself. And getting saved. You got your hell fire insurance, so to speak, your get out of jail free card, but that's it. But I want to be clear here. It is not the duty of ourselves to make people disciples. That is God's job first and foremost. We are to call people to repentance and and say, Hey, look, here's the truth. You're a sinner, you deserve the worst, but Jesus at the cross and his burial and resurrection gave you his best. And leave it at that point. We don't convince people, we don't persuade people, we don't put a sword to people's necks and say, if you don't believe, we're going to kill you. That's not Christianity. We leave it at this one who has all authority to convert and save people. That's our job is to be faithful. But after they get saved, you know what our job is? Is to make disciples. And that's the duty of every Christian. How do we do this? First, we and Amy will put this up, we do this by going. We do this by going. The word, the first word of verse 18 is the word go, and that's appropriate. You can't spell gospel without spelling go to be first. But Jesus doesn't expect the world to come to the church. He expects the church to go out to the world. We are going to be a going church for the coming of Christ. But that's not the emphasis here. The imperative, the command of the text is to make disciples. The word go, if you look at your scripture, looks like The imperative looks like the command, but it's actually something that comes alongside. What are you literally to do? He literally says, as you are going, make disciples. As you're going, make people who will follow me. Share the gospel with them. And and disciple making is a Christian lifestyle. It's something God told us about, and it's what we are to do. And we are to make disciples of all nations. Look, your gospel doesn't work if it only works with people like you. If your gospel is like a waffle where you pour it in and you only reach this certain group of people who look like you, talk like you, smell like you, act like you, you're not preaching the gospel. The gospel is like a pancake. When you pour the syrup on, where does it go? It just spreads all around. If you're like me, you like to load that thing bare and just let it rip because that's what you want. You want the good stuff. Why? Because when we go to the world, it is to every nation. Revelation 5, 9 and 10 It says, worthy are you, O Lord, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom a people from God, from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We must go. Church, not every one of us is called to go, but we have neighbors who look different than us, who worship a different God than us, who walk and listen and, and, and think differently than us, who may smell even differently than us, to be frank. But they need Christ. We need to go. How do we embrace the charge of Jesus? We, we go. But secondly, we baptize. Verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't need to say this, but this is not a man-made tradition. This is something that Jesus told us to do. Jesus commands us to baptize by water baptism in the Holy Trinity. Let's be clear. Again, side note here. Let's just be very basic, but let's say this. We worship how many gods? One and he is in three persons. That sounds funny, but run with me. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Spirit. But together, they're one God in three persons. Your mind hurt yet? Mine does. Did your brain figure that one out? Probably not. But this is how God has revealed himself. Be careful about comparing the Trinity to ice, gases, and, and solids, or or Past, present, future, all those fall woefully short. When we get to heaven someday, we will probably be as mind-blown now as we are. What we know is this, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, and that's who we baptize in. Baptism is a Christian act of civil disobedience. It is being baptized as we baptized young Luke about a month ago saying there's no other king, there's no other lord, there's no other president, there's no other authority above the king that we are serving. Baptism is really a civil disobedience. You hear missionaries, don't you, coming and giving stories about when someone got baptized and their family literally disowned them, tried to kill them because they literally have put on the shirt that says I'm on Team Jesus and I ain't going back. No turning back, no turning back. We believe that in immersion, we pledge our allegiance to him. Baptism does not save, but is the first act of obedience to Christ. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. And I want to be clear here. As a church, to fulfill the Great Commission, you are to call to go share the gospel, every one of us. It's not just the pastor's job. Every member here is to do that. We are also called to make disciples. We're called to raise them up in the Lord. We're called to baptize them. Leading lost people to saving faith is the Great Commission. Sheep stealing, saint swapping, and membership transferring is not the Great Commission. We are so grateful. Many of you have transferred here from other churches. Hear me clearly. We're always welcome here. But that is not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is taking what we have to people who do not have it, the gospel to people who don't have the gospel. God wants lost people to be saved. He wants sinners to be converted. And He wants dead people to be born again. It's like that tour guide who was taking them around one of those great European cathedrals. Have you ever been to Europe before? Some of you have. They take you to these old churches. It's just beautiful, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And if you like art or don't like art, you just, wow. And they got to the end of the tour, and, and the, the tour guide said, Do you have any questions? And there was an old lady who said, Yes, sir has anyone ever been saved here lately? And the tour guide said, saved from what? That church had long since forgotten what their mission was. And church here at Tower View, may we never forget what our mission is. It is to tell people to go, to teach, and to baptize. And we're supposed to teach them. Did you get that? I think I got those out of order up there, and that's all right. We're supposed to teach them. What are we supposed to teach them? We're to bring people to faith through Jesus Christ alone. We're to bring them into the church through water baptism. Then we're to grow them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Conversion does not end at baptism. We're not going to get John Wayne style all notches or Rambo style notches in our belt. Oh, I see another hand. Oh, that person got saved. That person got saved. That's great they got saved. That's where a lot of people leave their Christian life. Billy Graham said in his autobiography, Just As I Am, that he doubted whether most people who walked that aisle actually came Christians because they just wanted to get out of hell. Disciples is something that goes on for a lifetime. Disciple-making always involves biblical teaching. It always involves going with what we have in the Bible. That's why he says in verse 20, doesn't he look back at verse 20? He says in verse 20, what are you going to teach them? You're going to teach them all that I commanded you teaching them to observe all things. What are you teaching them? 2 Timothy 3:16 All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Our teaching must be sound, faithful, courageous, balanced, and even systematic. It's got to cover all the bases. I pray that our church that we get to a level when someone comes up and says, "I want to know more about Jesus." We can just point them to someone and say, "Go learn by that guy." Or that gal or that place, that we do that. And it's not always the pastors, because guess what? You guys are walking with God as well. Christian man, Christian woman, you may be the only Christian in your family. Does your family know? Do they come to you for questions about our faith? You know, Seth was in our bathroom last night changing and all these things, and I don't know. he I didn't even tell Natalie this. It just popped in my head, but he asked some question about You know, what happens when I die? Will I get to take my toys with me? or You know, some four-year-old question, right? And that led to a simple conversation about what happens after you die, and do you know Jesus? And we talk about these things in our family. And then we went on to talk about all sorts of things we did on vacation the rest of the week. But for that 30 seconds, as we were changing clothes, there was an opportunity. Take those opportunities wherever you can. That's what we're called to do. Last thing is this, last call to action. Embrace what we're called to do We're called to accept the case Jesus has made. But finally, because this can be scary if you really think about it, we're to grasp the comfort Jesus offers. We're to grasp the comfort Jesus offers. Let's read verse 20 again. He says, if you're an underliner, all this is underlinable. But he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. Guys, I love this assurance, don't you? As you go do these things, it's never going to fail, even if you feel like a failure, because the assurance of Jesus is personal. That's the first thing. His assurance, you'll see it on the screen, is personal. It's a personal assurance. And hasn't Matthew already done this for us? Can we go? We're not in that mode. We just got off Fourth of July mode, but put on your put on your Matthew 1 Christmas mode for a second. You ready? Matthew 1.23. Hasn't Christ already told us about his presence? Matthew one twenty three. Behold... A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. From Matthew 1 to Matthew 28, it's always this, he's with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't divorce us. He doesn't doesn't turn a new leaf over on us. He loves you, and that's it. He's not going to call you out to pasture. He's not going to sneak away when you're gone. He's not going to throw you out with the baby in the bathwater, proverbially. He's always there. Guys, that's an awesome God. What an awesome God we serve. This is not the first time he's given that to us. Jesus also said in Matthew 18, I posted this on my Facebook a couple weeks ago. You know, we often say that verse in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. And what do we immediately think of when we say that verse? We think of prayer. But Jesus meant it in the way of church discipline. It's about prayer, it's kind of, but really it's about church discipline. Jesus said, when, you, when I was born, I'm with you. When you're doing the church stuff, I'm with you, Matthew 18. And when you're going to tell people about you, hey, guess what? I'm with you. Always, always, always. Not only is the sovereignty on our side, he's also by our side. When you're sick, he's there. When you're struggling, he's there he's there. But guess what? It's not only personal promise, but lastly, it's perpetual. Had to get another P in there. It goes on. Literally, literally what he says here is, he says always, or literally all the days, all the days. He who has authority is with us at all times. This is comfort that we have. Psalm 46, had to put some Psalms in here for our pastor in the back because he loves the Psalms. Uh, I'm pretty sure, and this is a side note, my, my best friend Brian who's preached here before. They sing out of the Psalter. We've done a few songs that way where they sing the Psalms, literally sing word for word the Psalms. Pretty sure Nelson is a closet Presbyterian. He loves the Psalms so much. He's smiling in the back. Here's some Psalms for you to remind you who our God is. Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in times of trouble. Psalm sixty eight nineteen. Praise be to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Isaiah forty one, ten. Read this earlier. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will uphold you, and I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Hebrews thirteen five says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's be real. When your body is sick, he's there. When your burden is heavy, he's there. When your faith is tested, he's there. When your feet stumble, he's there. When your friends are few, he's there. When your heart is broken and your strength isn't flowing, he's there. told you this great commission is very practical, doesn't it? Friends, we know at all times this is what we're called to do. That's why, as we go forward as a church, we need to remember that assurance. He is always with us. He's always been with us. He's not changing. As we let's just put some cards on the table, as we talk about and you pray for our committee tomorrow, be very practical with you, five people. I'm gonna get trying. Reminder, guys, meeting at six o'clock tomorrow. I'm looking looking at Shirley, looking at, looking at Kara, looking at Tina, looking at Tom, looking at Chris Lancaster. I don't think Chris is here today. That's all right. With me tomorrow, six o'clock to go through some resumes for pastor of worship. As we pray for our pastor of worship, he's there with us. As we restart Sunday school, Lord willing, in three weeks, he's with us. As we talk about what we need to do in a couple weeks about physically the church and spiritually the church, guess what? He's with us. As we talk about how to reach our neighborhood, he's with us. As we gather together, he's with us. When you're at home and life doesn't seem to be going the way you think it should and no one seems to hear you, guess what? He's there with you. His presence never leaves you nor forsakes you. What an awesome God we serve. Amen? And in context, as you go ye therefore to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, He's with us. Evangelism, sharing the gospel, is always 100% successful. Well, what if they reject me, Pastor? He's with you. It's a win. What if they say, tell me more later? Well, that's a good thing. He's with us. That's successful. What if they come to know Jesus? Come on, dude, wake up. If they come to know Jesus, that's definitely successful, right? It's a win, win, win. Argosy, whatever other goofy casinos out here on 210, they got nothing on those odds, guys. If you walk. Not advocating gambling, but just walk with me in the illustration for a minute. If you were a secular person and went to the casino with odds that every time you pulled down the the one-armed bandit or put your cards down in the blackjack tail or whatever, that you had 100% odds to win, you would be at every casino every minute of every day trying to win everything that you could. Oh, but guys, that is nothing compared to the riches we have in Jesus Christ. Because every time you share the gospel, it is a win for the kingdom. It's a win for that person. And it's a win for the success and faithfulness of God's people all the time. Because he is with us. And nobody can write that book but God himself. And when he died on that cross and he said, it is finished, he said the greatest win ever. What confidence do we have? What is our church to be? It's a church that's to follow the Lord's actions. And that's it. I'm going to close it there. Amy, I know there's one more slide. I'll put it out on email this week. Guys, we love you so much. I know you know this, most of you in this room. But I do need to say, we need to be revived in it. Don't let what's going on in your life take you away from the one job that God has especially called you to do, that is to tell people and make disciples of all nations. Let's bow our heads as we close out today. Father, thank you for our time. Lord, we could literally, there are seminary classes on these four verses alone that in a semester barely plumb the depths. But Father, in the short time that we have to hear your word this morning, we pray that we embrace what you've called us to embrace. Father, that we accept the charge that you've given us. And Lord, we remember that your presence always goes before us. Father, this great commission is overwhelming. There are literally billions of people in this world who do not know your son as Savior. Father, and, and if we're really honest, a lot of those are our neighbors and our family, our coworkers, our, our, our significant others, whatever, the most intimate relationships we have. Father, we know we, we need to continually send missionaries to go. But Father, may you revive our hearts for the very missions that we have right in front of us, the very people we have in our path every day. Mask, no mask, vaccinated, not vaccinated, red, yellow, black, and white, whatever. Father, there's only one thing that matters in your eyes. Do they know you or do they not? So, Lord, give us wisdom to see. And, Lord, we pray for our church as we go forward that you keep this in our minds, that our job, our church is to follow your orders, and that is to go and to make disciples and to baptize by your grace for your glory. And it's always going to be a win-win-win because, Father, you have all authority in heaven and on earth. Thank you so much. Father, we pray these things today as we worship with our last song in Jesus' name.